shop I used to work in, we'd stand there in the in the bay when we weren't working or when we were, and we'd you know look at the world going by. It was kind of interesting. I, I kind of I kind of enjoyed that. You remember that movie? Was it Smoke? Where Harvey Keitel, I think it was, took a picture of the same corner every day in his neighborhood outside of his shop. It was kind of like that. Anyway, we'd sit there and and talk to people who'd come by, and there was this guy who'd come by every day. He wouldn't stop and talk. He just walked by. Um, front he was wearing a this brown pinstripe suit it was old and kind of ill-fitting but it wasn't worn out it wasn't like a you know it wasn't like a hobo wearing several dirty jackets and a top coat to quote a Peter Case song that I seem to always like um, you know he just had a kind of like a looked like a Salvation Army suit he was sometimes unshaven and he uh, would wear cowboy boots and he'd had a briefcase that he carried and he'd kind of lurch himself forward and he'd, he'd go down the road and you know you could you could tell without speaking to him I guess that he was intellectually disabled in some way but but he would come by and and uh, and we'd say hey clay and he'd go hey guys and uh, I asked my buddy I said how do you know him uh, and and he said oh he used to hang around a shop uh, that I worked in, and then uh, I'm like, how come he doesn't talk to us? And he goes, well, when I first started working here, I told him that, you know, I was new on my job, and I couldn't really sit around and talk to friends. It made me a little bit sad. And I said, well, why does he wear that suit? And he says, well, somebody told him one time that uh, people would be nicer to him if he dressed nice, and so he got that suit. And it's interesting. It, it, it probably worked, sadly. Um, it was probably a trick that worked. People probably were unkind to this character. Um, and they probably, at first glance, um, which I guess was the purpose of the hobo costume, not that I'm comparing the two of them, but like at first glance, he looked like a guy uh, head to a job, not somebody who was, you know, out of the facility he lived in down the street from us and wandering around town to pass the time. I think about it because, you know, I, I've i talked on the podcast a little bit about the way I dress. I, 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 I'm sometimes like, uh, dressed like a hobo myself. One time I was, in the, I was in the store with my kid. She wanted some earrings. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I pulled out my cash. I'm like, I don't really have cash. And some guy, not to judge him by how he was dressed, but he looked like a you know, a pot grower from up in the hills. He bought them for her, gave them to her. And he's like, here, how to get your kid what she wants. And I didn't, didn't know what to do. And we left, and she says, do people think we're poor? And I looked at myself, and I'm kind of like, why, why wouldn't they? I've got holes in every garment I have on. I guess I only dress like a professor if that professor is... John R. Neal. <laughs> I don't know if you know who John Randolph Neal was. He was a he was the lead lawyer in the Scopes monkey trial, where uh, John Scopes was prosecuted for violating Tennessee's Butler Act that uh, that prohibited teaching of uh, the evolution theory in all universities and other public schools in Tennessee. Clarence Darrow. The uh, 
celebrity defense lawyer was the was the main sort of uh, you know uh, you know the the face of the of the defense um, and and uh, and the trial was a sort of epic battle between William Jennings Bryan and uh, and Clarence Darrow for the soul of the nation. It was a you know really a sort of a test case and PR campaign uh, to decide the fate of science. It's famously covered by H. L. Mencken, whose caustic wit defined both uh, Brian and the region. He called he, he called Brian when he died a few days after the trial a peasant come home to a dung pile, and I think he defined the way um, people felt about uh, you know the South at that point. Which is to say how the northern intellectual elite felt about, uh, felt about it. But if Brian was, the, uh, as Mencken said, among the Baptist pastors run amok, he said there was one brilliant exception, John R. Neal, whom he also called uh, patriotic and daring. In that great Knoxville novel by Cormac McCarthy, Sutri, Sutri wanders around town, he runs into... John Arneal, and he talks about how he's covered with gravy and he's filthy and how his pants fell down at the line at the cafeteria. And yet, you know, John Neal presents himself in the scene with a, a tremendous amount of dignity. But anyway, he was famous for his shabby dress, for sleeping in his suits. And he was uh, fired from the University of Tennessee uh, a few years before his um, his appearance in the Scopes trial. But, you know, uh, ostensibly for defending somebody who wouldn't play along with the, um, with the, you know, mandate to not teach evolution. But he also, you know, was always sort of controversial and under fire for his teaching practices and his dress. So I don't know, I, I feel that way. I feel that way at school sometimes. Though I also have to say, as usual, those uh, borders and prohibitions are mostly in my own mind. I've actually never really received any pushback for either of those things at my school. When I was a kid, we were very influenced by this movie Repo Man. I mentioned it kind of spontaneously on the podcast last week, and I had to back up and go watch the film because I hadn't seen it in since I was a child. I was a little unsure how it was going to play <laughs> all these years later, but it actually held up okay, I think. You might want to check it out. But one thing that, that, that struck me is that the Emilio Estevez character in there is a punk, he's a punk rocker. Some of his friends have mohawks and present in a more extreme way, but but he doesn't. I mean, he, he sort of wears some punk clothing, in, but he mostly wears like bowling shirts. And then after he meets with the Harry Dean Stanton character, who is a, a repo man, when he asks, you know, do you think all repo men follow the code? Uh, the Harry Dean Stanton character tells him he should wear a, you should wear a suit. You should kind of look like a detective. It kind of throws people off. And, and uh, so he started wearing a suit. And, and I remember when I was in high school, we started kind of dressing in that way. You know, I think we weren't, uh, weren't rebellious enough or weren't self-conscious enough about our, our, our uh, you know, urge to resist the culture of conformity that was really, really oppressive and strong in the Reagan era. Um, you know, we weren't we weren't uh, intellectualizing it enough to have a mohawk. 
we didn't want to shoulder the burden of being nonconformist. We understood at, at, at some intuitive level that, as Emerson says in Self-Reliance, uh, for nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure. We didn't want to be uh, whipped, <laughs> or did we even want to displease the world at a certain level, but we also you know, didn't want to conform. But if we put on you know, a suit coat more elbow patches it was hard to pin us down as rebellious and yet we considered what we were doing a parody whether other people did or not we used to wear what uh, <laughs> what my buddy referred to as eye catching neckties we'd get these eye catching neckties that our that our dads would never wear that were totally out of fashion by that time they they had a you know the 80s people were wearing these thin little q black neckties and knit neckties and stuff. We'd wear these great big wide ties. We thought we were so cute. You know, I was thinking about this when I was getting ready to do the podcast and put this together. I haven't worn a tie since I got married. I'm, I'm sure that's the last time. Uh, it's no longer a part of my wardrobe, though now that my wife is a school principal, I'm probably going to have to put one back on again, but I just, I just haven't done it despite the fact that I uh, would wear them to parties when I was a teenager. So anyway, I guess that constituted something like a gentle rebellion for us. We realized that uh, clothing, uh, you know, made a rhetorical statement, and then we made some claims about who we were and how we fit into the world by how we dressed, and we weren't quite ready to take it to extremes. I mean, you know, the John... Neil's situation is interesting. I mean, you know, he, I'm sure that at the time he was teaching at the university before he got bounced out in what was called the slaughter of the PhDs, I'm sure that, you know, he was required to wear a suit. So he just did. He just didn't ever change it. He uh, followed the letter of the law without following, I guess, the spirit of the law. And he was able to, uh, you know, do his do his thing within that structure. You know, when I first started teaching at the university, I didn't know how to dress. It's kind of an interesting thing. I think about this with my students. When we talk about this. You know, when you first start a job, you're expected to dress in a particular way, and the burden is especially strong on women. By the way, you know, and they've got there's just such horrible gauntlet of cruelty they have to run i mean just think about the every time you see a female politician from anywhere in the world there's somebody talking about how they dress it's it's absurd and women face that in any job probably even when they have an official uniform for their job maybe a uniform is better though you don't have to think about it you know when all of us start jobs we don't have any money and have to get a new wardrobe and so it's kind of it ends up being a big decision and and how you present yourself at the beginning of your career seems to maybe define the possibilities for your career going forward and i, I think that's kind of interesting when i started out the older men who were still retiring or you know were still there and were, were in the process of retiring many of them left within the first year or two that i was teaching they all wore suits of one kind or another. And then there was a generation beneath them, sometimes it wore like 
ragged t-shirts and stuff, a few of them. And there was a more self-conscious rebellion, I think, involved in that. Um, and then I noticed, like, you know, a lot of the lecturers in different departments, but in our department particularly, you know, dressed kind of a, kind of like I did uh, when I wasn't at work. I mean, they often wore, like, boots and jeans and sometimes wore the kind of like loud shirts that we wore when I was in high school. I was starting to come back around to those. I was wearing my snap front shirts, bowling shirts and stuff. So, you know, I started to think about and worry about what the secret conversation was, the secret uh, rhetorical code for dress within my institution was. And, you know, I, I looked around at the at the other young tenure-track professors, and I stuck with the yuppie uniform for the time, which was, you know, khakis and uh, and a blue dress shirt that was a little too long in the sleeves. You know, you could show up and pass unnoticed in that. The older generation might have thought that, you know, you left your jacket on the back of your chair or something. <laughs> I don't I don't know what. I mean... I don't know. There weren't there weren't requirements. I mean, if I if I taught in a department that required me to wear a suit, I'd wear a suit. You know, I don't think I'd sleep in it. But but uh, I wouldn't go full John Neal. But I would I would I would conform to that. Obviously, you know. But I noticed. You know, there was an interesting thing in my I, my, I think my might have been my second year of teaching. Around there, I had let my hair grow out and. I actually wasn't wearing a beard then, which I usually did, but I hadn't let my hair grow out. And I I uh, went to see an Emmylou Harris concert. Love Emmylou Harris, by the way. And uh, some of my students had worked in hospitality at some point and knew how to get this done. And they surprised me with getting me backstage to meet her and got me on a list. So I went to the concert dressed like I would. I had, you know, cowboy boots on, jeans. I had a black like bowling shirt, you know, stripes on it and a long hair. I mean, I, again, like I, I looked I looked like other, you know, guys my age at the time. I didn't I didn't dress like that at school at that point. So anyway, I I, I go backstage after the concert and she comes in and there's a room full of people and and there there are uh there's this older couple that she knew when she was a kid. She was friends with their daughter when when uh their uh when her dad was stationed on an Air Force base with this family, and her dad was a was an aviator, and he flew with this guy, and uh, you know there were some journalists and whatever, and there were a lot of older people. I mean, you know, she's quite a bit older than me. Obviously, she's my parents' generation, and and uh, as the youngest person in the room by far, and uh, you know, I was dressed like I was auditioning uh, to be her guitar player or something, which you know. Had I had that opportunity, I wouldn't be talking to you as a professor right now. But anyway, I was on a list as Professor Brown, somebody who taught, uh, you know, American music in the classroom, somebody who participated in that, somebody who, you know, um, appreciated her music at the sort of, you know, at, a, at an intellectual level and, and promoted it in the classroom. So she comes in, <laughs> she walks in, she's leading this mangy dog that's like a rescue dog that she's got. And she says, honey, will you hold my dog? And she hands the leash to me. I'm like, sure. Then, you know, I love dogs. So I'm like, I'm down on the ground letting the thing lick me in the face and all of that. And, uh, and she goes, she, she's got her list and she goes around the room and she, she points to that couple and she goes, well, I know who you are. 
haven't seen you in a long time, but you know. And then she, um, and then I guess I was next on the list. It might have been alphabetized or something. And she says, Professor Brown, and looks at the next man, and he shakes his head. Professor Brown, and no, he shakes his head. Professor Brown, no, he shakes his head. Professor Brown, he shakes his head. And then she comes to me and she says, Professor Brown, and she shakes her head, no. And I go, yeah. And she goes, really? <laughs> and I thought that was so. I thought that was so cool. I, I, I just liked the mismatch of expectations there. And I think maybe around that point, I decided, you know, I can just dress like I dress in the world when I go to school. I don't have to go home and change if I've got a gig on Friday night. I mean, you know, there, there, was some, there were some uh, boundaries I established for myself, but I just started to dress how I felt comfortable and I noticed that right away my students responded to that positively and they seemed to be more comfortable with that. And, you know, I may suffer professionally from not uh, dressing in a more professional manner. I don't know. I mean, because whatever kind of judgments are made, they're, uh, they're behind the scenes. They've not been very explicit, at least not very often. You know, in stand-up, not that what I do in the classroom is stand-up, but sometimes it's closer to it than I'm comfortable with. Um, there's a principle of always underselling the comedian when you uh, when you announce her or him. And the contrast between, you know, the, the underselling and the, and the performance, you know, uh, uh, makes the performance seem better. And, and I kind of feel like I dress in the way I do to make myself approachable to students and if they if they don't respect me because of that occasionally I'd rather I'd rather brook that offense than to come across as being pretentious or aloof and again I understand that it's a matter of my privilege that I've got uh, that available to me I, I realize that other people have to maintain um, a certain appearance in order to just be treated equitably and that I, you know, don't as much. And again, I fully understand and appreciate that there's an entire industry devoted to making women feel uneasy about their fashion choices. I also, by the way, I, I want to remind people when I'm in the classroom, I don't dress like a hobo. I just dress a little bit more like a honky-tonk guitar player than like a professor. I'm not going full John R. Neal on anyone. I've been thinking about this lately because, you know, I've got to go back to school, one, and I've become the old, old guard, too. I'm, I'm, you know, it's hard to believe this. It's hard for me to believe this, but I've become one of the oldest professors in my department. Uh, even though I've got 15 years to go before I retire. Maybe 10. Um... And I'm trying to think of how to, you know, get older with dignity. But also I'm thinking coming out of the pandemic, it's kind of like starting a new job, starting over. And I want to think about how I want to present myself. You know, there's an old Southern saying that says the water takes the shape of the vessel. The individual will conform to the structure. But, you know, what shape the vessel is <laughs> is still mostly dictated by your own mind 
And I'm trying to figure out what that's going to be and maybe how I'm going to present myself when I go back to school. The stakes aren't particularly high for me, um, but I'm thinking about it. And, and I think that, you know, we, we get up in the morning. Some of us dress very intentionally and some of us don't, but we all respond to each other based on how we're dressed. And, and, uh, and I don't know. It's an interesting conversation to me. I hope you enjoyed it. Listen, friends, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and checking in with me. Uh, I'll see you again next Wednesday. Remember to share this with friends, like, follow, subscribe, all of that stuff. Um, Take care of yourselves. Be good to each other, and I'll see you next week.